Welcome to Percolating Perspective. I'm your host, Gordon Michael Porter. This is the podcast that gives you some perspective on America. Today, we're going to talk about a little forgotten section of the Constitution that radically changed our country forever. And it can be found in the second article, and it was changed by the 17th Amendment by the Progressive Movement in 1913. But first, before we get started, I have a very exciting drip of the day for you that I cannot wait for. So with that, we'll go ahead and get into it. All right, so I just recently acquired a Stanley Thermos brand pour-over set, and I am stoked about it. And I have not tried it yet. I just got it out of the box. And it's got a nice little you know, aluminum filter on the top that sits over any mug. They just happen to give you a Stanley Thermos mug with it. But I have, the water is warming up right now and a little, it's a little electric percolator just for percolating perspective. You might can hear it right now. Oh buddy, I am so excited. I'm gonna go ahead and put my grounds in here. You can get these on Amazon. Get them on Amazon. You can get them, I believe you can get it at Walmart. And the coffee I'm using today is Dunkin' Dunkin' Donuts decaf. Get this in here. Oh man, you hear that water? Oh, I'm so excited. You know, I already hear the um, the negative Nancy's out there talking about me drinking decaf, and I will grant you, it's not my proudest moment, but it's after two o'clock in the afternoon, and if I want to sleep tonight, it better be decaf. So while this is getting nice and toasty, I'm gonna look here at my filter, make sure that my grounds are where I want them. They're all nice and evenly spread out around there's like a little the filter is actually it's not like a typical paper filter it's like a, a cylinder that sits down inside of the grounds basin get my grounds all nice and tied around it there all right water let's let's hurry it up here we got a podcast to do so my water warmer is actually a farberware it's just a water warmer. It doesn't do anything else except warm water, but it gets it up to nearly boiling temperature. I turned it on like, what? How long have we been going here? Two minutes? Three minutes? So I started it a minute and a half ago, and it's already nearly boiling. All right, getting close. You hear it? So we've got some exciting stuff to talk about today, particularly in the Constitution, as I said in the intro. Um, something the progressive movement wants you to forget, and I believe that we have forgotten it. And it's a critically important piece of our Constitution that I believe if we were to, to go back to the original design intent, it would change our country for the better overnight. And we're going to take a look at that. If you have a Constitution, a pocket Constitution, good on you. If you don't, go to hillsdalecollege.com. Get you a free copy at hillsdalecollege.com or on your Apple App Store or you might can get it on Android. I don't know because I don't use Android because once you go Mac, you never go back. 
but get a copy of the Constitution in app form on your phone. I use what's called the Patriot app, and it's got a lot more than just the Constitution, but uh, it does have a copy of the Constitution as well as the Declaration of Independence and the Treaty of Paris and all the Articles of Confederation. Well worth your time, but all that aside, all right, our water's done. This is super exciting. I'm probably gonna kill myself doing this somehow. hear it? Here, let me adjust my mic here. You can hear it. Oh, this is so exciting. So while you've got the coffee dripping here, if you have your constitution pulled up, go to article two and section three. There we go. So remember all that time and effort I put into making coffee not sound like it's peeing, and then the actual factual way of doing it actually sounds like somebody peeing, so that's cool. Oh man, this is so cool. Stanley pour over set. My church actually has a camp camp out that is coming up this weekend and I did not buy it for the camp out but I am really excited to use this on the camp out and flex a little bit. Mr. Grizzly Adams over here. Although I gotta tell you it's not, it's not working very well. I think maybe my grounds are too small. I keep pouring water I guess. Shake it a little bit. That's enough water. Oh yeah, we're getting real close. Come on, Stanley, don't let me down. I mean, if you're if you're trying to make coffee in the woods, this really isn't that bad. Not that difficult. Not that bad of a system at all. Come on now. If you're listening, I've edited out like five minutes of this, so you're welcome. Just kidding, I didn't. You're suffering through it with me. There we go. All right, and I've got a donor cup sitting over here to catch the excess. Oh man, that is a spry looking cup of coffee right there. All right, let's see how it tastes. Hopefully it's not. Oh, mm, that's good. It's scalding hot, but that is very good. That is really good. Stanley, try your Stanley pour over set. Go to Amazon, go to Walmart, go to Target. Get yourself a Stanley pour over. That's a lot of fun to do. And it makes a really good cup of coffee. I mean, I know there's not... You know, people say, well, coffee's coffee, but it's really, it's really not, though. Oh, man. If you've never had the difference between espresso, a French press, or just a pour-over, or just a Mr. Coffee drip, you're missing out because it's a lot of, it's a, it's a big difference in flavor. And to me, 
the American way of doing it is how the Cowboys did it, which is what we just did right here, which was a a pour-over, and we did mimic a campfire a little bit with having an electric water heater, but that's beside the point. All right, get your constitution out and go to Article 1, Section 3. Now, there was a big change made in 1913 to our Constitution that completely upended, overturned, dramatically changed the course of our country forever. And it was done at the very beginning of the progressive movement, um, really under the – not so much of the direction of Woodrow Wilson as he came into office just a couple of months prior. Um, in January of 1913, this amendment, the 17th Amendment, was in – April it was on April eighth actually of nineteen thirteen so we're coming up very close on the um, oh gosh the what is that a hundred and tenth anniversary of the seventeenth amendment the hundred and tenth anniversary of what I would consider the birth of the progressive movement now article one section three says this the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state okay that's normal. That's what we deal with now but it goes on to say this chosen by the legislature thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. So undoubtedly, if you have your pocket constitution, if you look at that, it's going to be either in parentheses or in brackets where it says chosen by the legislature thereof, and it'll have a little asterisk there beside it. And it's possible that at the very bottom, if you have an asterisk, there's a footnote that says that this was changed by the 17th Amendment. Now, let's go over to the 17th Amendment and see what they changed. All right, Amendment... 17. This was ratified on April 8th of 1913, so we're coming up real close uh, to the anniversary. The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state. Okay, so no change there. But here we go. Elected by the people thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. I need to get a cup of this. A little sip here. Hmm. That is really good. I'm impressed with that thing. The electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite, yada, yada, yada. Okay, that's the same as the that's same as Article 1, Section 3. But the big change here and what they have highlighted uh, here in my pocket constitution, the change was elected by the legislature thereof. Article or Amendment 17 says the people thereof. So what's the big deal, Gordon? Well, I mean, why is that such a big deal? Well, here's why it's a big deal. This is what I would consider uh, the birth of the progressive movement for one reason, and it is a shift away from a true constitutional republic form of government, which is what we used to have, and that's what the founders set up, was a constitutional republic. We are not a democracy. We are not a democracy. But the progressive movement, that's exactly what they want, and that's what they tell you all the time. If you listen to you know Don Lemon, Joe Biden... Um, the, the, the entire gamut, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, you know, Pocahontas, all these people, they are constantly telling you that they believe that our country is a democracy. Never has been, and I, it, really, I hopefully, it never becomes one. But we are dangerously close to one and have dangerously been close to one for 110 years, and here's why. Currently, the way our system of government works is we have three co-equal branches of government. We have the executive branch, we have the legislative branch, and we have the judicial branch, the first of which mentioned in the Constitution is the legislative branch, then the executive branch, and then the judicial branch. In the 
first article, the legislative branch, we have that broken down into two different houses, which is what we call a bicameral legislature. And a bicameral legislature, all that means is you have two different houses or two different bodies of people that have to make decisions on one topic, and they act together to produce a single decision. So the legislature or the Congress produces one vote of the three. But the way Woodrow Wilson and the progressive movement changed that, originally we had the legislature picking one of the houses. And what I mean by that is of the states, each state as an entity had a voice in Washington, D.C. So the legislature of each state, and we'll just pull this back up here so you can hear it straight from the horse's mouth. The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, which is what we have, 50 states, 100 senators, but chosen by the legislature thereof, meaning chosen by the legislature of the state. So the state's interests as an entity were represented in Washington, D.C. That was the original design intent. Now, you also have the House of Representatives, which was chosen by the people at, at, at populace, at, at large. And so the, the Congress at one time, you had the people's interests represented directly, and then you had the state's interests represented directly. So, for example, my home state's Florida. Florida would have two senators that were elected by the legislature in Tallahassee to go to Washington, D.C. to represent the state's interests as a sovereign entity. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, now, with the 17th Amendment having been ratified 110 years ago, we have had 110 years of what you might call mob rule or majority rule. Now you have two houses in Washington, D.C., in Congress, that are both representative of the people. It completely cut the states out. The states as sovereign entities, which they are, have no voice in Washington, D.C. anymore. And we are seeing the fruits of that every single day. We see that with the SG. We see that we saw that with COVID, where each state was, uh, you know, had no sovereignty for the most part on their decision on whether to lock down, whether to have mask mandates, whether to have vaccine mandates. Now, God bless Ron DeSantis and God bless Florida. We handled things a little bit differently, and think it was because of him. Had we lost that election and Andrew Gillum had been elected, we'd have been no different than you know Michigan or Detroit uh, uh, or Chicago or Los Angeles or whatever else. But Florida did act as an off, a sovereign state during the COVID movement. Now, the will of the people was the only thing driving Congress through that whole situation, through the whole COVID pandemic. What the original design intent was, was for the state as a state organization, as a separate entity from the people, would have had its voice recognized in Washington, D.C. to represent the state's interest. Then you would have that countered by the will of the people. Now, why is that so important? Well, sometimes the will of the people is wrong. Sometimes the mob gets it wrong. And in fact, I'd say almost 100% of the time, the mob gets it wrong. But being that we are a government of the people, by the people, for the people, the people have a right, they have a duty to govern the government. And the founders recognized that and understood that, and we see that very clearly in the Declaration of Independence. But as luck would have it, whenever you have a progressive movement come along and you have people come along that want a true democracy, they want power. 
And the reason they want power is it's much, 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 much easier to persuade and to lie to the people, to the mob, and get their hair on fire than it is to get the 50 individual sovereign states who have their own congresses to get in lockstep. It's much more difficult to get them on board. It's much easier to get the people on board and whip them up into a frenzy. And in fact, you see that all the time where, you know, for example, we've had several um, uh, laws passed over the past couple of months, one of which being the Inflation Reduction Act, quote unquote, which in fact was nothing more than a Green New Deal. Had the state's interest been represented represented in Washington, D.C. by the Senate, more than likely that would not have been passed. And the reason I say that is the people of each state are still voting the senators. Had the state legislatures been sending people to Washington, D.C. Uh, and in the Senate, we would have had no less than 25 states that are red states or conservative states. They are fiscally responsible states and are not uh, letting people run around, poop in their streets, and burn their cop cars and having mostly peaceful protests. About 25 to 27 of our states in this country don't operate that way, one of which being Florida, one of which being Texas. We have Oklahoma, we have Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, West Virginia, uh, Utah, Wyoming, Montana is getting a little bit off the, you know, whatever, but they're generally speaking pretty conservative. So you have many states that operate under a fiscally conservative mindset that do not want ESG. They don't want climate stuff being shoved down their throats as a state entity because it is not in the best interest of the state government. And if we had had the old system, we would have staved off a lot of that. We would have kept a lot of this ESG and environmental garbage from being passed because it is not in the state's best interest to pass that. States meaning the entities, the state's best interest. But, unfortunately, because the Senate is now picked by the populace, you have the majority of people in this country living in New York, California, it's a lot of these big metro centers, and they are picking your senators for you. And unfortunately, they're also picking your representatives for you. That was never the intention. That was never the design. That's never what our founders wanted. They wanted and understood that we have essentially three parties in the United States being represented. You have the people. You have 50 individual states, sovereign states. And if you disagree with me there, I don't care. Read your constitution. They are 50 individual sovereign states that are bound together by a federal government, by a federal constitution. But make no, make no bones about it, they are 50 individual sovereign states, and they have a right for their voice to be heard in the federal government. Currently, they don't. So, let's just workshop a few ideas here. Why is this such a problem? Well, let's just kind of zoom back over the past 110 years, and let's think about a few things that probably didn't go the way they should have and probably could have been stopped if the state's interests had been involved, um, one of which would have been the, uh, the civil rights movement. Most people don't remember this or care to acknowledge it, or you know, especially in the media because they're uh, progressive liberal Democrats. But back in the 1960s, early 1960s, late 1950s, the Republican Party tried several times to get a civil rights act 
past. Now, you won't hear that in the media, I promise you, and you won't hear that from any of your college professors, and you won't hear that from really anybody because everybody's primarily forgotten about it. But the Republican Party fought for a long, long time for civil rights for black people and for really all minorities in the United States. Um, Unfortunately, the Democrats kept voting the thing down, and wouldn't you know, it was in the Senate. We had the civil rights movement being voted down by Democrats in the Senate. Now, back then, uh, let's say the 19, late 1950s, early 1960s, about 50% of the states were not, you know, Jim Crow era racist states. You know, you had the, you know, back then it was the northern states that had, you know, somewhat of a head on their shoulders, and we didn't, you know, there aren't <laughs> the term Dixiecrat exists for a reason. The the Democrats have always been progressive racists. They still are today, and they will always be that because their sole desire is power. But going back to the 1960s, late 1950s, the Civil Rights Acts that would have been passed by the Republican government or by the Republican Party at that time were not affirmative action packets. They were not just full of pork that would keep black people on the government dole for the rest of eternity. But then, around 1965, 1966, you have a gentleman by the name of Lyndon B. Johnson, the face of the Democratic Party, and a just a pig-headed racist, probably one of the worst people you will ever read about. He truly was an evil man. He comes into the presidency and into the White House, and he is going to toe the line for civil rights because, by golly, they he, he had a turn of heart. The Democrats, hey, it's these Republicans that are racist. They can't seem to get anything done. They're not doing the right thing. So, you know, the Democrats are going to pick up the mantle here and they're going to do what the Republicans should have done a long time ago. Well, doesn't that sound kind of familiar? The Democrats are now accusing the Republican Party of what they are actually doing. And they still do that today. We see that all the time. But Lyndon B. Johnson finally gets a civil rights uh, act that is drafted by the Democrat Party. And in his words, and you can look this up for yourself, I will edit it just for the sake of not getting canceled and not getting my podcast removed from every platform that it's currently on. So I will I will spare you the, the words that he used, but I encourage you, you go look it up. You go find out what he said. But he said, if we get the the Civil Rights Act of 19, I believe it was 1965, if we get the Civil Rights Act passed, we'll have NIG, you know, voting Democrat for the next 200 years. Why? Because it was full of pork. It was full of affirmative action. It was full of things that were short-sighted for the black community. But the Democrats knew exactly what they're doing, and Lyndon B. Johnson said the quiet part out loud. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were getting the black community hooked on the government dole to never come off again. And he knew full well that if, you know, we see back then it was, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, affirmative action. You know, we talk about, you know, government housing and things like that for, you know, lower income. And there's nothing wrong with taking care of the poor. However, that's never been government's job. But because of a backward system of government and because the state's interests were not served, the states are now paying huge sums of money for a Civil Rights Act that was passed just for the sole reason of putting black people back in chains right where the Democrats wanted them back in 1865. Call me what you want, but that's the way it worked. And that is, you know, if you go back and look at all the horrible things that were done to minorities through this country, 
you can trace them all the way back to the Democratic Party, all the way back to Jamestown. And I would encourage you also to look up a map that is called the Two Trees uh, or something. There are others, different variations of the name. But essentially, you have two trees that grew out of the founding of our country, you might say. One of those trees is in Jamestown, Virginia, which is, of course, where slavery first kind of got a foothold in the United States and was actually a, a uh, colony of the crown. It was not a pilgrim or or Puritan colony. It was a a business port, Plymouth, of course, being the other. And of those two, you had the Puritan, you had the Pilgrim tree that grew straight and uh, had a lot of blessings that came about from that tree. The other tree sprouted out of Jamestown. And from Jamestown, Virginia, which is where a lot of the Democrats originally came from and where that party originated was in Virginia, you can trace every ill that has ever been done to minorities almost without fail. I won't, I'll, I'll spare some generality here just to make sure that I'm covering my own tale, but almost without fail, every single negative thing that has happened to minorities in this country has directly been from the hand of Democrats. Whether that was Andrew Jackson and the Trail of Tears and pushing the Cherokee and the Seminole uh, out of their native land and pushing them out west where they didn't want to be, or, you know, Wounded Knee, uh, which came about a couple of years later, or whether that was the Dixiecrats and the American South and the institution of slavery. You can go back, you know, there's a lot of talk on whether or not the Civil War was about slavery or whether it was about states' rights. You go look at the secession documents that those southern states wrote themselves and told you why they left and all of them, with the exception of a handful that say, well, you know, we agree with Alabama, they all said they were leaving because their sacred cow, slavery, was being threatened by newcomer Abraham Lincoln. You go read it for yourself. That was the Democrats in 1865. Fast forward to the Jim Crow era. Democrats, the Dixiecrats, the KKK, Democrats, the first movie ever shown in Washington, uh, I'm sorry, in the White House was a KKK flick called The Birth of a Nation. It was hosted by Woodrow Wilson, who just in 1913, April 8th of 1913, took away the power of the states to say no as an entity. Now, you can fast forward all the way to today, and you can see those same patterns happening where, you know, the um, you have a bunch of blue-haired, nose-ringed, college-educated white feminists running around telling everybody how the black people and how the minorities need to be spoken for and taken care of because, goodness gracious, they just, they can't do it on their own. Well, I beg to differ. I really do. I'm getting off track here, but the point being is that all of these things from 1913 forward, and our example here is the Civil Rights Act, could have completely, uh, it could have been a very good thing for the black party, or sorry, for the black community. Instead, what happened is the Senate got in the way because it no longer was representative of the individual 50 states' interests, but it was all of Congress at that point was represented by the majority, by the mob rule of people. And at that time, the hub, the central um, population hubs were predominantly in the South, and they were kind of, I guess, balanced out. But point being is a lot of the 
the horrible legislation and really uh, the big setbacks that we've had over the past 110 years could have been stopped if we had the state's interests represented in Washington, D.C., I would encourage you to really think about this and think about how different the country would be if the state's interests as their own entity were represented in Washington, D.C., and not just the people. The people absolutely need a voice, and they have a voice. That voice is called the House of Representatives. And, you know, not to get too far into the weeds here, we're getting close to the end of our podcast here, but the way the president was elected was also changed, and it was changed exactly the same way. It's no longer the will of the people, or I'm sorry, it is the will of the people, but it's the will of the mob. It is not the the will of the constitutional republic as it was built. And, you know, if we, and I'll say this unapologetically, I'm going to get one more sip of coffee here before we close. Guys, you got to get yourself, that is really good. That's really good. Stanley pour over. I can say this almost without any hesitation whatsoever. If we were to take all of our amendments, with the exception of the Bill of Rights, amendments 1 through 10, if we got rid of everything beyond that, with exception to abolishing slavery and the right for women to vote, if we got rid of every other amendment afterward, I believe we'd be better off as a country. Reason being is the design intent the founders had. The founders spent a lot of time and a lot of study and a lot of prayer to get to a system of government that was that operated in the best interest for the people and operated in the best interest for people's God-given rights. Currently, you know, Abraham Lincoln warned once the people figure out that they can vote themselves money out of the treasury, America is doomed. Now, it took them a little bit longer than what he anticipated. It took until 1913, uh, but eventually we did figure that out, and now we see the condition we're in. So what do we do about it, Gordon? How do we fix that? That's a great question. I think we need to spend a lot of time talking to our senators, send them letters, and I know, and here's, here's inevitably the answer you're going to get. Well, that requires a lot of political power. That requires a lot of political capital that I just don't have to expend. That's understandable. And as soon as we start trusting and relying on politicians to do our dirty work for us, well, then we're in a heap of trouble if we start doing that. So what you need to do is you need to start getting involved locally and in your state legislature and start talking to your state senators and your state legislatures and remind them that their voice is not being heard. The state legislature as an entity is not represented in Washington, D.C. anymore. And that's a severe, severe problem. That's a real problem. And it is, as we've discussed today, that has caused a lot of our country's issues. With that, America, I love you. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Don't forget Stanley Pour Over Set. And I, you know, we are also sipping on, in fact, I don't even know if I mentioned what coffee we're sipping on, Dunkin' Donuts, a decaf, medium roast, America's coffee. America runs on Dunkin'. I don't know about that, but percolating perspective sure does. Until next week, America, I love you. God bless. Take care. Stay safe and enjoy a little bit of spring. It's warming up. Take care. Thank you.